tonight we have a special treat. As many of us are here to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, we get to hear someone's faith story, why it is that they're celebrating Christmas, and for what reason. So we have Lisa and Eric Thomas are going to come up and share their testimony with us. Hi, I'm Eric Thomas, and I wrote this so I can keep with time. If anybody knows me, I have a tendency to ramble. Just a quick overview of my life before, before Christ. I grew up in a small town called Fallon, Nevada, which is predominantly Mormon. My parents at one time were members of the Mormon religion, but had left while I was still very young. By the time I was in fifth grade, my dad and mom had started reading the Bible with us. We read 14 chapters every weekend and went from cover to cover within about three years. I would note that even with this exposure to the Word, none of us, including my parents, came to Christ for years afterward. By the time I was approximately 13, we had stopped reading the Bible altogether, after which the fairly high moral standard in our home started to quickly disintegrate. By 14, I was starting to drink every so often, and around the same time, I started a hard rock band with some guys who were out of school, and I became their drummer. That put me in an atmosphere that encouraged my drinking. I also started getting high a lot and became very promiscuous. I had a rebellious attitude against any authority, whether it was my parents, teachers, or the law. By the age of 17, I was occasionally doing cocaine along with the drinking and pot use, and by the time I was 18, I was drinking one to two bottles of Jack Daniels a night and having several run-ins with the law. By the time I was 21, I had a record of 10 arrests. I had also been in several situations that had almost ended my life. Although these events kind of awakened me to my own mortality, they didn't change my course. By the age of 22, I continued my downward spiral and began not only using methamphetamines, but selling them also. Eventually, my reckless and violent lifestyle led me to not only lose my job, but many of my friends, my home, and everything in it. I ended up living with my parents again, and I really didn't stop drinking and using methamphetamines on various occasions. But I know God started to open my eyes to the absolute futility and slavery of it all. John 8.34 says, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. I started to realize that I needed God, although I wasn't sure what it meant to truly know God and how it could happen. How I became born again was God actually used a friend of mine I had been hanging around who wasn't a believer, but knew some facts about Jesus. And some of the things we talked about were enough to get me to pick up a New Testament and start to read about this person, Jesus Christ, in the Gospels. I was convinced after months of reading that I needed him. So I went to a church called the Country Church and talked to the pastor. I confessed my sin and trusted Christ with my life. Since I've been a Christian, Christ has brought me to not only know the truth about him, but to place my eternal hope in him. God changed the desires of my heart and caused me to delight in Him rather than my own sinful desires. The joy of my heart is now to seek for God's glory rather than my own. What a glorious truth that God sent His one and only Son to be born in lowest of circumstances, 
live a perfect sinless life and die a cruel and horrific death, having the wrath of God poured out on him in order that we might escape his wrath being poured out on us. And after his resurrection and ascension, he did not leave those who trust in him as orphans. Glory. But has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, sanctify, sustain, and keep us until our faith becomes sight and we are known as we are known. John fourteen twenty three says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If you're his and you know him, rejoice. If you're not, would you receive? It's a joy and a hope that is so rich and inexhaustible that it will take all eternity to delight in. Thank you. I wish I had the podium last time to hold on to when I was so shaky. Okay. I'm going to read too. I want to look at you, but maybe I'll do better if I look down anyway. Okay. I was raised mostly by my mother, who was a really liberal, open-minded person, who through the things she was involved in also initiated her children into several things which are basically of the occult. Of course, neither she nor we realized this at the time. Most of the things would be fairly acceptable in today's society. Things like tarot cards, horoscopes, seances, and Ouija boards were part of my childhood. I believe this affected my direction of beliefs as an adult quite a bit, although I did also have some exposure to church and even a bit of Sunday school. Amazingly, although I only went to Sunday school a few times when I was like nine years old, I did remember a verse which I've remembered to this day, which is James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, from which whom there is no variable nor shadow of turning. I quoted it for Eric on our first date, and I didn't have any idea what it meant. And I didn't even know what the New Testament was. <laughs> Somebody told me once, that's in the New Testament. I didn't even know what that meant. But I'd always thought that I tried to be a good person. I wanted to please others, and I tried to make myself into whatever pleased those I loved. I struggled with a temper at times, but generally thought I was doing pretty well compared to those around me at being a good person. I never thought that much about heaven or hell, but tried to live by my conscience and thought I was doing okay most of the time. After a divorce and making several mistakes in relationships, I was really discontented with my obvious inability to make good choices for myself and my children. I'd gotten into New Age beliefs and with a group of people, including my mother and several family members who were trying to call better things into our lives by ordering our universe, basically. My kids still tease me about burying crystals. Uh, long story. <laughs> trying to think positive things, do positive things, believe in our ability to change our lives by believing that we could change it. To anyone who didn't know better, it all looked very loving and harmless. I even got into healing through a practice called Reiki and even saw some miraculous things through the practice of it. I remember my sister-in-law asked me one time, well, why would the, the devil heal? And I believe that Satan, who's described as an angel of light, disguises himself in some very benign ways. It would even be in his interest to heal someone of a life-threatening illness if he could gain their eternal soul. He's been using half-truths and harmless-seeming tactics to draw people away from God since the Garden of Eden. We always have to look to Scripture to refute the lies of the devil. It's around this time that I had a date with Eric who surprisingly got a second date 
after telling me that, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of my good works were filthy rags to God, <laughs> that there was a devil as well as God, and that he hated me and do it, would do anything to keep me from God, and that I would not be able to bat my eyes at God at the pearly gates and expect to get in. It worked with Eric on the racquetball court when a point was at question, but it wasn't going to work with God. <laughs> God wouldn't be impressed, and unless I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I wouldn't enter the kingdom of heaven and would indeed find that the devil was very real and would spend my eternity in hell. His delivery was quite a bit more smooth than I'm explaining it. <laughs> but this basically sums up what he told me. He also told me that Jesus loved me and wanted to make me his child, and that he died to pay for my sins. Almost made it. <laughs> and to give me entry into his kingdom and save me from an eternity in hell, but that he expected me to give my whole life to him and trust him with it. He also, Eric, gave me a New Testament, told me that I needed to get to know this man, Jesus. I read that Bible and prayed that God would let me know if it was true. I read and I read and I read. I read it several hours a day until I finished it in a few weeks. And the more I read, the more I knew that it was true and that Eric had given me the greatest gift anyone had ever given me. <laughs> he introduced me to Jesus, my father, my best friend, my savior, my comforter. I didn't understand unconditional love until I met Jesus. I didn't understand someone knowing the depths of my heart and all of my failures and still wanting and loving me. I can't tell you the moment that God saved me. I believe that he slowly opened my eyes and heart through his word. I waited for a while before sharing with Eric my conviction in my heart to know his friend Jesus. And one day we prayed together, June 27, 1998 to be exact. Since then, God has shown me more and more how much he really loves me, as he shows me my sin and still loves me and walks with me daily. I understand more and more unconditional love, the love of a perfect God who would come down to a fallen world to bear my sin and yours. And I'm so thankful that Eric had the nerve to tell a girl on their first date that she was going to hell. <laughs> he got a second. <laughs> Uh, Romans 5, 7 through 9 says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, although perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Good evening. I'm, my name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church, and, and I get the opportunity to share the Christmas message with you this evening. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, I thank you what you did in Eric and Lisa's life as you wooed them to yourself, 
God, and you made your glory known through them. God, what a wonderful testimony of your goodness and your love for us. Lord God, would you work through your word tonight? Would you use the word, your word, to intersect with our lives tonight like you did with so many others? Now we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Eric and Lisa, I too am a Christian. Seems appropriate. And I take this holiday season to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I take this season to celebrate the time when God gave himself as a gift to me and to you to reconcile us back to himself. That's what I celebrate. Now, I'm going to go on a 20-second rant. I'm not sure I've ever been on a 20-second rant, but I'm going to try and do this in 20 seconds. I enjoy listening to talk radio, and this year more than ever, I have heard this odd subculture of intellects raise up and I don't know if it's to confuse people if it's a distraction but there's this thing out there where it's a big deal to know that Christmas wasn't really December 25th year zero everybody make the surprise look and for some reason this is tremendously important Did you know that before your birthday, that day wasn't your birthday either? Just think about it. And regardless when your birthday was, you stole that day and called it your birthday. Even if it was Independence Day, right? You stole it and you celebrate your birthday and then go watch firecrackers. You're just happy they throw off firecrackers on your birthday. You stole the day. But each one of us have to come to this day in America called Christmas... Because it's part of our culture. It's part of all our history. And we have to decide what it is we do with it. Do we come to Christmas Day and say, we enjoy the holidays? We enjoy the gifts, the family, the sentimentalism, the Christmas cards. There's not one of those things that are bad, by the way. I like every one of them. But we have to come to Christmas in this culture and say, what is it that we choose to celebrate? Now, tonight we're going to have a two-finger sermon. The reason I call it a two-finger sermon is if you brought your Bibles, I'm going to be in two different places. I'm going to be in Matthew 1 and 2, and then I'm going to bounce a couple of chapters over to Luke, and we're just going to bounce back and forth as we take a look at a couple of people's lives who each one of them had to decide how they were going to respond to Christmas how they were going to respond to God putting a call in their life, just like with Lisa and Eric. So the first person we're going to hit, pause for effect so you can try and figure out who that person is, is Mary. Take Mary. First person really in the list. We, we see her, she's sitting at home weaving a basket. 
but maybe she's not weaving a basket, but she's sitting at home. Now, we have a huge age range of people here tonight. Those girls that were up here singing, 12 to 15, 16 years old. I see boys. I, we have everybody in here. Mary was 15, maybe, 16, young girl, in love with a man, has a bright future, has all these things planned, just like every young person walking into the world. And she's sitting in her house, and poof, Gabriel walks in. And he creates a bit of a tension in her life, doesn't he? If we start with Mary, we go straight to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 28. And here's what Gabriel says. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed. <laughs> you don't say. If Gabriel walked into your house and said, You're favored by God, do you think that may bring up a couple of questions? He continues, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever in the house of Jacob, forever. And Gabriel leaves after Mary responds to this. Now, there had to be a million things that ran through Mary's mind. First off, she's engaged, essentially. Hmm. She knew what conceived meant. She's going to have a baby, and Joseph is not going to like this. She's troubled. There's a lot of things on her mind. She's right at a fork in a road, and now she gets to make a decision. She can say, it's been nice knowing you, but I have plans. Or she can say, verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Mary got confronted with the call. What are you going to do about Christmas? By the way, I'm going to ruin your life. But in doing so, you're going to bring into the world God's Son. What's more important, your will or mine? And she chooses, I am your bond slave. Do as to me as you will. Response number one. And then we find Joseph when he finds out. Yep. Joseph, things hit the fan. Right away, he is not very happy. He's a righteous man, but he also loves this woman. So now he's torn. Do I stone her to death or not? Right? 
Because this is a struggle in this society. If he just kind of sweeps this under the carpet, he's ruined. Don't just take it lightly that it says he's a righteous man and so he tried to dismiss this quietly. This man was torn apart because what do you mean the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and what? Do you think the man was hurt a little bit? There's a little emotional pain here. This was my, this was my beautiful bride-to-be. I love her. I'm building a house for her. We're going to have a life together. And she comes to me and says, um, this is going to sound a little strange. And so Joseph, is, it's time to go. And then Joseph confronts Christmas. It says, an angel of the Lord came to him while he was sleeping and said, Joseph, don't worry. What she said is true. That's the short version. I want you to take her, watch after them. When she bears a child, I want you to name him Jesus. And what did Joseph do? If he says, yes, he is marked for life. He has a promiscuous wife in a town where everyone knows everything. But in doing so, he helps protect and walk with the Son of God. What does he do? Matthew, two-finger sermon. Now we're bouncing back. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. I have these fancy little things in mind. I can go faster than you. And Joseph awoke from the sleep. And he made his choice. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth. He confronted Christmas. It was trouble. And he made a choice to do what God asked him to do. The next one, Elizabeth. We know Elizabeth. Elizabeth is, is that lady who spent her entire life wishing she had children. She's the mother of John the Baptist. Her whole life she'd been shamed in this culture because she couldn't have children. And then one day her husband comes home and says, because God had said, you're, sorry, your, your speaking is over. So he writes, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a child. And she looks at him and thinks, you're, not unless you can talk to me, we're not. No. And she becomes pregnant and goes and hides out for a little while. And along comes Mary. Mary goes for a visit. And I love this part. When Mary comes, Elizabeth says, Why is it the mother of my Lord has come to visit me? And she gives us a wrapping for Christmas right here. She said, When I heard your voice, the baby in my womb did what? Went, oh, bummer. 
No, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. When she was confronted with Christmas, what happened? Joy just engulfed her. Now, she could have said, you know what, God? I have spent a long time serving this priest that you gave me, and not one child. I'm not sure I want to do this. She could have done that. But instead she said, no, this is for God's glory. God kept me this way so that I could bear this special son, John the Baptist, for God's glory. And when she confronted Christmas, the baby inside her leaped for joy. That's Elizabeth. Hit a fork in the road. How did she respond to Christmas? And then come those dirty guys out in the field, the shepherds. Now, being from Colorado, most everyone has experienced this. You've been out somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and you have to lay on your back and look up and say, wow, it's dark. Don't shut the lights off. Pitch dark. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and all you occasionally hear is... A little spooky, unless they're sheep. These men are out in a field, just waiting. And if any of you have seen the Aurora Borealis, the northern lights, out of the middle of nowhere, darkness to... God turns all the spotlights on, and angels are standing there and said, Luke 2.10, I bring good news. Good news. I have it for you. Good news of a great joy. In the town of Bethlehem, there's a baby born. It's Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Good news of great joy. Oh, it doesn't stop there. That didn't quite get the shepherd's attention. So after this short message, I guess the... the, the the shepherds just kind of must have blown the first guy off. Because then it says, a multitude of angels filled the sky. And this word is for an army, legions, just angels everywhere. Can you even just fathom this? You're out in the middle of nowhere with your sheep, and the whole sky is filled with angels, and they're singing praises to God. More of that joy stuff. The shepherds are overwhelmed. They leave and they say, and I love the way they put this, so let's read it. Luke 2, 15. When the angels had gone away, this is Luke 2, 15. The angels had gone away from them, and the shepherds began saying, hmm, to one another, um, let's go straight to Bethlehem and, you know, see this thing that's happened. No, you don't picture it that way, do you? They're just, they're, let's, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this. Can you believe it? Emmanuel, these are the things that our parents told us about. We've heard the legends. We've heard the stories. We've gone to the temple. We've heard this over and over and over again. Let's go. Now, I know they were that way because of what happened next. They make a run for Bethlehem. They find the baby, and they tell Mary, you're not going to believe what we saw. The angels told us where this baby was, and all of these things happened out in the field, and they told us where we were going to find him. So we came at once, and they're worshiping the baby. But it didn't stop there. 
What was their response? They're caught out in a field, just minding their own business, and God intersects their life right now and says, I have a job for you. I want you to go into Bethlehem, see this baby, and take your whole salt-of-the-earth life and then declare my excellencies on the way out because that's what they did. When they left the manger, it says everybody was wondering about these things that the shepherds had told them. They were so excited it was just coming out of them everywhere. These were our first evangelists. They came into the, out of the field. They worshiped the child. And on their way back to the field, they just told everybody. Just told everybody. And they were just declaring the excellencies of God. First Peter 2. Right? The joy that they had. So what did they do? What was their response to Christmas? You know, Bethlehem, that's a pretty long walk. I think maybe not. I'm a little busy with my sheep tonight. Got me a little shepherd's pie on the stove. NFL football's on tonight. That's not what they did. They were joyful, and they made a run for it. All right, the Magi. Let's move on. Each one of these. Put each one of these in your head, because each one of these people were confronted with something that was not just a simple decision. When they confronted Christmas and what they were going to do about it, they had to make a choice. The Magi. Wow, they look up, there's this star. They decide to start following the star. All right, that's a little simple version, but close enough. They start following this star, and then the star disappears. But it's okay, they got it all triangulated. These are smart guys. They're astronomer, astrologer, whatever they were, they were smart guys. And so they knew about where this thing was. They had, oh, it's over Jerusalem. Fine, let's go there. Must be in the kingdom. Must be in Herod's palace. So they go to Herod and they say, ah, buddy, where's the king? And Herod's leg starts to do this. He's not real happy with that. But the star's gone. We, we don't know where the star is. We've been following this star. We know that that star is about a king, the king that's going to be born. And so Herod gathers his people and says, where is he going to be born? And all the smart guys in Herod's temple there, or Herod's kingdom, say, uh, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So... Herod comes out and tells him, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. I have an idea. You go find him, and then come back and tell me. After you're done worshiping and doing all that gift stuff, you come back and tell me where he is. And I want to go worship him too. And so the Magi leave. Now watch this. Matthew 2, verse 10. As I was reading commentaries about this, the commentaries told me that this verse is packed with superlatives. A whole bunch of words that are just packed in there to make a point. And as you read it, you can feel it. They come out of Herod's castle thing, and this is what it says, verse 10. When they saw the star, the star's back. They came out, they'd lost it, it had gone away, the star is back. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Does it get any clearer than that? They came out and they're just happy. That's it. How else do you say it? They saw the star and they're just, there it is. We can follow that. That's going to take us to the king. Now, they don't even know who the king is. They don't know that this is Emmanuel, God with us. They know that this is somebody special. Not everybody gets a star. But they don't know this is Emmanuel. But they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They get to the place where the house where they're staying and they worship the baby. That's the choice. Again, do we leave and follow this star? That's a long way. And we don't even really know what's there. And then we're going to go to the, the Herod's place there, the Herod's palace, and make a fool out of ourselves. When we go there and start saying, well, uh, where's this king? And got a little ignorance still built in. All of this, but they didn't care. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because they knew who they were going to find was going to be somebody special. And when they got there, they worshipped him. They had to make a choice when they were confronted with Christmas. And then we have the last guy. We have Herod. The Magi come to Herod and say, Where is this king? Where is the new king? Where is the king that's born to be a king? We're here to make him that. And the Bible says, Herod was troubled. Herod was troubled. Now, if you know about Herod, Herod is, he's a king. And there's a nice long line that comes after Herod that he's pretty proud of. Rather eager beaver, did a lot of building. I mean, he's just, he really was a magnificent man when it comes to getting things done. You'd want him as the CEO of your company, or not. But this man heard that there was a new king. And they know what Messiah means. This is no surprise. Emmanuel is going to be born in Bethlehem means Herod is out of a job. Power taken away, palace, servants, happiness, everything gone, and Herod was troubled. Well, that's fine. Mary was troubled. Joseph was troubled. Elizabeth was troubled. It says the, the shepherds were very frightened. Right? Everybody was troubled when they were confronted with Christmas. Everyone is troubled when they hear this. Everyone. And so was Herod. That's not a surprise. But then each of those other five people or groups of people responded to Christmas by either rejoicing exceedingly, behold, due to my bond slave as you see in your will, or get up and did what the angel said? Or ran into the city to see what this thing is God had done? That's how they responded. What did Herod do? Well, he's got lots of money, so he can throw a big old party. 
Oh, he just kind of held back a little bit. He waited for the Magi to come back to tell him where he was, where Jesus was. Because he wanted to... He told a lie. He didn't want to go worship him. He wanted to do him in, right? He wanted to do the new king in so he didn't lose his power. So he gets tricked. The Magi, God tells him, don't go back. Go, don't go that way. Go another way. And here is how Herod responded. It says, he became enraged. That's the word. Enraged. He confronted Christmas the same way everyone else did, troubled the same way, and he was enraged. As a Christian, I celebrate Christmas because I celebrate the time that God gave me a gift. He gave me Jesus Christ so that I could be reconciled back to him. As a Christian, I have accepted Jesus Christ at his word. That he was born, he is God, born man, fully God, fully man, come to earth to pay for my sins, for perfect to die for imperfect. God to die for me because that's the way it had to be to bring us back. I celebrate Christmas because God gave me the gift of reconciliation. He brought me back to himself. And that creates in me kind of a transcendent joy exceedingly that causes me to rejoice and run off to Bethlehem. Well, okay, not run off to Bethlehem. But you get the picture. It causes a joy in me because when I confront Christmas, I go, yes, I've given my life to God. I've given my life to be his servant, his bond slave. Do as me as you will. And so Christmas brings up in me a joy. And Christian, in the season now and coming up in the next couple of days, let me just encourage you to let that joy just flow. John Piper puts it this way, that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Let that joy just pour out. And then for the others of us in here that may not be in Christ, how do you respond? All of us hear this message, and the first time we heard it, it troubled us because the message of the gospel says, I, God, want to ruin your life. I want to make a difference in the world and in God's people and to glorify myself with your life. And that's not going to probably be the way you planned it to be. It creates a little tension in you. If it didn't create tension, it's probably not God talking to you. But each of us have to come to that place where we confront Christmas and make a choice. Do we rejoice exceedingly with more joy? Or are we enraged 
I hate it when they bring me here. It's our choice. God does the calling. We respond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I I do thank you for what you've done for us in this season that we call Christmas, that we choose to celebrate what you've done. God, that you condescended to us to bring us back to yourself. Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody that is here tonight that doesn't know you. Lord, that you would woo them. God, that that tension you've created in their heart, Lord, wouldn't go away. God, that you would call many to yourself tonight. That as worshipers, we can just experience the joy and rejoice exceedingly. Amen.